Gracious Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the way in which uh, it clearly reveals uh, who our Lord Jesus is and what it means to follow him. Uh, please, Father, be at work in our hearts and minds today. Uh, help us to search our own hearts, uh, to ask ourselves, uh, I guess, to get a clearer picture on what it actually looks like to follow our Lord Jesus. Uh, help us to do that uh, more sacrificially, uh, more passionately, uh, in a more committed way. Uh, for his glory we pray. Amen. Uh, so, uh, I might not look like it, I don't know, maybe I do, uh, but I'm now getting into my mid-30s, and uh, I have to say, as I'm on Twitter, uh, kind of social media of various kinds, I'm not as in touch with all the acronyms that go flying around. I'll give you some examples. I'm often kind of Googling, uh, what, what does that mean? What, what does IMHO mean? Anyone know? Of course you all know. I, I didn't know, but I do now, in my humble opinion. Uh, what is, I, I, I think this is a bit shameful that I didn't know this one, because it appears all the time, but uh, FTW, for the win, that's right, uh, this such and such, for the win, you know, I guess it means it's good. Uh, 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 what is, uh, this is a good one, uh, if you're on Twitter, uh, uh, what does ICYMI mean? ICYMI, you're all kind of doing the mental gymnastics, in case you missed it. Right, this is kind of, if you get onto Twitter, you haven't been on for you know, a couple of days, and then they kind of bring up the best feed of, in case you missed it, right? I see why am I. Anyway, I had one of these uh, acronyms the other day that I didn't understand. Uh, someone on Twitter was saying that they uh, were going to have to have a DTR. Right, they were very nervous uh, about having this DTR. Uh, they seemed very worried about it. Uh, so I thought, look, like maybe it's some kind of surgical procedure. Like I've got to, I've got to have a DTR. Like uh, I'm really uh, quite uh, upset about that. And kind of, anyway, I looked it up on Urban Dictionary. This is the place to go. And uh, it told me that a DTR is when two people discuss their mutual understanding of their relationship. Right? It's a romantic relationship. Uh, and they have to, uh, DTR, define the relationship. Uh, you know, uh, maybe you've had this kind of conversation. Uh, what's going on here? Are we just friends? Are we dating casually? Are we allowed to see other people? Uh, what, what's the status of our relationship? You know, you don't want the thing on Facebook. It's complicated. You know, this, this is the, the this is the conversation that clarifies that. And of course, uh, usually the DTR is quite a difficult conversation. Uh, a conversation that stereotypically, I know this is stereotypes, but stereotypically, young men run away from the DTR. And young women are eager for the DTR. Because typically young men are afraid of commitment. Maybe all of us are to some extent. The DTR makes them nervous. So they thought they were just having some fun. And now they're sort of being cornered into this serious conversation where they've got to analyse the kind of status of their relationship. Now, if you're the sort of person who perhaps would get nervous about a DTR... Or perhaps your relationship's defined, you, you're, you are married, uh, but you get nervous if your husband or wife says, look, uh, I've been thinking and we really have to talk. If you get nervous about that kind of thing, I just want to let you know that uh, today we're having a DTR. Right? A DTR, not so much about your relationship with me or anyone else, but about your relationship with Jesus. This is how we're going to start the new year. As we look at this passage, I want you to define the relationship that you have with Jesus. And as silly as this might sound, I reckon some of you are a bit nervous about that. Just like a normal a DTR with another person, right? Uh, because you kind of like the current arrangement you've got going on with Jesus. It's fun, it's casual, it's full of all sorts of benefits. 
uh, but there's not too much commitment. It's a no-strings-attached arrangement uh, where you can check in with Jesus whenever you like, whenever it's convenient, uh, but he's got no real influence over your life from day to day. So it works well. You could say you're happy to be a fan of Jesus, you like him, you admire him, you're drawn to him in some way, uh, but not so much a follower of Jesus. That's the DTR question for today. Are you a follower or a fan of Jesus? Uh, Let's look at the passage. It'd be good to have it open in front of you. Uh, I want to have a look at the fans of Jesus in verse 18. If you've got the passage open, it would be useful. Uh, In verse 18, reading between the lines, we see that Jesus uh, doesn't just want a whole bunch of fans. uh, He wants committed followers. So look at verse 18. Matthew says, uh, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Right, put this verse in context. Right here in chapters 5 to 7 in Matthew's Gospel, uh, we've just heard Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Right, Jesus' incredible power in teaching. Right? So all these crowds of people are flocking to Jesus. They want to hear what he's got to say. And then last week in verses 1 to 17, uh, we started to see Jesus' incredible power in doing other things. In particular last week in healing, in weeks to come, there's going to be other miraculous works. Uh, so crowds of people are flocking to Jesus. So why at this point does Jesus give his disciples orders that they're crossing to the other side of the lake? Surely this is exactly what Jesus wants. He wants to get the news out there. He wants people to hear about who he is. He wants crowds of people flocking to him. Why move away? Because Jesus is concerned that they're flocking to him for the wrong reasons. They're flocking to him because they've heard he's a powerful teacher. That they want to hear his new ideas. They want to get on the bandwagon of this new teaching that everyone's talking about. But Jesus is concerned that they're just fans, not followers. The crowds are flocking to him because they've heard he's a powerful healer. He's just healed someone with leprosy. We saw that last week. He's restored a centurion servant. He uh, relieved Peter's mother-in-law's fever. Right? The crowds have heard about all these things and they're flocking to him. But Jesus is concerned that they're flocking as fans, not followers. A fan of Jesus is someone who's an enthusiastic admirer of Jesus. They really do like Jesus. They're drawn to him. They're they're, they're happy to be a Jesus groupie, kind of go along with the crowd. They're happy to jump on his bandwagon when things are going well, but they're not really committed to him. If you're a hardcore fan of a sporting team, you know these kind of people. The Richmond supporters are like, yeah, there were a lot of those people come out of the woodwork last year, but they weren't there since 1980. You know, like... um, Right? You, you won't find these fans following Jesus through thick and thin because they're fair-weather fans, not genuine followers. And today, there's still lots of different fans of Jesus. I'll give you a few that I thought of during the week. Uh, you've got the people who at some point in the past uh, prayed a prayer to become a Christian. They're kind of living off that fact that that at a youth group event or at a university thing or at some point uh, they made a commitment to follow Christ. Of course, now Christ has little or no influence over their life. They barely give him a second thought. So really, they're they're more of a fan of Jesus. They're still warmly disposed to Jesus. They probably tick that box on the census. But they're not really a follower. Uh, You've got people uh, who say that they've got Christian family or friends. They might even say, sure, I'm not a Christian myself, but I've got this connection with Christianity. Surely that counts for something, right? This association with Jesus. 
Of course, the truth is you can't be a Christian uh, by association any more than you can be married uh, simply by being associated with people who are married. You know what I'm saying? You actually got to get married yourself. You're not married just because you hang out with a bunch of married people. Right? You can't be a Christian simply by hanging out with people who are Christians. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're welcome to hang out with us. We love you hanging out with us. Come hang out with us at Tallboy and Moose, right? It'll be wonderful. But in the end, you have to make your own commitment to follow Christ. As someone once said, God doesn't have any grandchildren, just children. Well, you've got to be a child of God yourself by your own faith in Jesus. You've got the people who are a bit like the crowds in today's passage, in the sense that they, you might have heard me say this before, they treat Jesus as some kind of cosmic vending machine. You know, a vending machine, you go up, you push the buttons, you get what you want, uh, but there's not, not much ongoing relationship, right? Some people are like that with Jesus, right? They're, they're interested in Jesus for what they can get from him, but they don't want any real relationship with him. That's what these crowds are like, at least some of them. And perhaps you've got people uh, who say that they're Christians, uh, but really they only go to church uh, at Christmas and Easter, or for what you might call hatch, match and dispatch. That's a bit crude. Uh, baptisms, weddings and funerals. Hatch, match, dispatch. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, right. The, the point is there's lots of different people who are legitimately fans of Jesus. You talk to them, they're sympathetic to Jesus, they're attracted to Jesus, they, they like all sorts of things about Jesus, but for whatever reason they're not followers of Jesus. So what about you? Uh, if you're having a DTR with Jesus, sitting down today, defining the relationship you've got with him, uh, are you a follower or a fan of Jesus? And Jesus thinks the crowds flocking to him are mostly fans, right? So that's why he says to his disciples, uh, we're, we're going to the other side of the lake. But before they can get away, uh, a couple of people come out from the crowd and talk to Jesus. That's the scene. The, the first, look in verse 19, uh, it's a teacher of the law. Matthew says, then a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Uh, if you've read some of the Gospels before, these are the biographies of Jesus' life, uh, you might have seen these teachers of the law described uh, as scribes. Right? They're Jewish religious uh, leaders, in particular teachers, uh, and uh, mostly, almost always, they're opposed to Jesus. Uh, but not this guy. Right? This guy is a clear fan of Jesus. And notice he approaches Jesus with real respect, uh, because even though he's a teacher, he's a publicly recognized teacher, he's a teacher of the law, even though he's a teacher, he comes to Jesus and says, well, really, you're my teacher. I'm going to call you rabbi, teacher. Now, we don't want to read too much into that, but because in Matthew's Gospel, there are quite a few people who call Jesus teacher, particularly Jewish leaders, and it's not really a sign of respect, Right, so later on, if you want to read Matthew chapter 22, a group of Jewish leaders come to Jesus uh, and over and over again they call Jesus teacher. But Matthew makes it clear that they've got no intention of following him. They just want to cause him trouble. They just want to trap him, try and trick him. Uh, but I don't think that's this teacher. Right, this teacher really does respect Jesus. In fact, in a broad sense, he's already a disciple of Jesus. Have a look in verse 21. When Matthew moves on to the next conversation, uh, he says another disciple came to Jesus. A disciple. So, so Matthew acknowledges that at least in some sense this teacher of the law is a disciple of Jesus. 
I think that's hard for us to understand. We tend to think about disciple as being a really, genuinely, fully committed follower of Jesus. But in Matthew's Gospel, a disciple really can refer to anyone who's willing to engage with Jesus' teaching who's sitting under him, as it were, even for a period of time, willing to learn from him, teacher and disciple. We see this in Matthew's Gospel over and over again. Uh, people referred to as disciples that we might think, oh, that's not a disciple, it's just kind of you know, a hanger-on for a period of time. right? But Matthew says, no, in some sense, he's a disciple of Jesus. And I think that's saying that there's a seriousness, there's an earnestness to his seeking after Jesus. Uh, but despite that it's clear that he doesn't really get what it means to follow Jesus. He comes to Jesus, he says, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Through thick and thin, I'll be by your side, he's saying. I'll I'll be in your corner. I'll be right there behind you. You read that? I don't know. I, I, I read that and it seems like a great statement of commitment. It reminds me of a story in the Old Testament, or a couple of stories. King David, uh, he's being forced to flee from his son Absalom. And there's this guy there uh, with a wonderful name, Ittai the Gittite. Right? Ittai the Gittite. And, and, and he's a kind of a, a newcomer to David's crew. And so David says to him, just stay behind. You, know, you don't owe me anything. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15, uh, verse 21, Idai says, uh, As surely as the Lord lives, as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King may be, whether it means uh, life or death, there will your servant be. Right? Wonderful words of commitment. I'll be there with you wherever you go. Right? Or Ruth. This is more familiar perhaps. Ruth in, in Ruth chapter 1 who said to her mother-in-law Naomi, uh, Please don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Right? They're wonderful words of commitment. And I don't know about you, but on the surface, it seems like this teacher of the law feels the same way about Jesus. But Jesus' reply tells us he's got doubts about that, doesn't it? Verse 20, he says, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is concerned that this guy hasn't counted the cost of following him. He doesn't quite get it. right? He's been much too quick to make a grandiose promise. In that sense, he's more like Peter. You remember Peter, later on in Matthew chapter 26, he brashly says to Jesus, uh, even if everyone else falls away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, Peter says, I will never disown you. And you know the story, soon after that, uh, Peter disowns Jesus. Very soon. But he hadn't really counted the cost of following Jesus. Jesus knows this teacher of the law is similar to that. That's why he says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. It seems like this teacher has got this idea that following Jesus is going to make his life more comfortable or stable, going to offer him a new degree of security. But all the things you might get from a house, you see, things that a fox gets from a den or a nest gets from a bird gets from a nest. They're places of comfort, of rest, of security, just like our homes. 
Right, so Jesus knows that's what the teacher's thinking, and he says, don't be too quick to promise. Make sure you count the cost, uh, because look at me, Jesus is saying. Like, oh, I don't even have a house. Following me, Jesus says, will not make your life more safe or comfortable or secure. If you follow Jesus, you'll, you'll have to find your home, as it were, your, your place of comfort and stability and, and security, uh, not ultimately in the things of this world, uh, but in knowing him. And that doesn't mean it's wrong to enjoy the things of this world. Right? By and large, many of us here are quite comfortable. We have nice homes to live in. It doesn't mean it's wrong to enjoy those things, but it does mean we shouldn't be so attached to those things uh, uh, that we're unwilling to follow Jesus where he calls. Uh, sometimes we might say to Jesus, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you might call, but just make sure you read the fine print, right? Because I'll follow you wherever you call it, as long as you don't call me to move away from my dream house or to leave my career, or to move away from family, or to give up some money. Right? You can't call me, Jesus, to move away from those things, but because that's what makes me feel safe and secure and comfortable, you see. I said, ask whatever you want, but not these things, because that's where my security is. And Jesus would say, count the cost of following me. I don't be too quick to promise. If you follow Jesus, he's not guaranteeing that you'll be comfortable or safe or secure. You'll have to find your security, your, your ultimate security, uh, simply in knowing him, in following him, in walking after him. Right? The security of knowing uh, that in Christ, the things that really matter can never be taken from you, you see. You can talk about all sorts of things here. In Christ, you're forgiven of every single sin, past, present and future. That can never be taken from you. You're cleansed of your sins, washed clean. You're clothed in Jesus' perfection. So before God, you're, you're holy and blameless and, and pure. In Christ, that can never be taken from you. You're adopted as one of God's children, filled with God's Spirit. Uh, the Spirit who Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 is a deposit guaranteeing your eternal inheritance. Guaranteeing. It's rock-solid, secure. Life with God your Father in the new heavens and earth. Right? If you stop simply being a fan of Jesus and choose to follow him wherever he calls, uh, probably all sorts of things will be taken from you. Your comfort, your stability, your security, your reputation, your possessions, uh, even your freedom, even your life in parts of the world. All sorts of things might be taken from you, but the things that really matter can never be taken from you. You and they are completely secure. So do follow Christ, but don't be too quick to promise. That's the message. Make sure you count the cost, because following Christ means finding your, your security, your ultimate security in him. And he may call you away from all sorts of things. Uh, there's another fan in verse 21. Matthew says, Another disciple uh, said to Jesus, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Right? Notice that? Another disciple. right? Another person who in some way is connected to Jesus, is following him. Uh, this disciple even refers to Jesus as, as Lord. Right? Lord, first let me go and bury my father. There's some debate about the exact context here. Uh, either the, the uh, person's dad has already died, 
in which case they, they want to bury their father before following Jesus. Or, or perhaps their dad's about to die. They know that's going to happen soon, and in which case they want to wait for that to happen before they follow Jesus. Right? Either way, doesn't it seem reasonable? It kind of does to me anyway. Right? All they want to do is honour their father by giving him the, the kind of appropriate period of mourning and burial. That's it. And yet Jesus says, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. That's pretty direct. It seems like Jesus is encouraging this person to completely dishonour their father. Of course, that, that can't be the case. right? Because in uh, Mark chapter 7... Uh, Jesus is incredibly critical of some Jewish leaders uh, who say they can't offer their parents any financial support because they've given all their money to the temple. Right? They're so godly. Right? Uh, so in, in Mark chapter 7, verse 9, uh, Jesus says, uh, You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Uh, for Moses said, Honour your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what, uh, that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, right? they've given their money to the temple instead of their parents, uh, then you no longer let them uh, do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and you do many things like that. So you read Mark 7 alongside Matthew 8, and I think it's clear that Jesus is not telling this person in Matthew 8 that following him uh, means he has to dishonour his parents, in particular his father. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is alluding to something he makes much more explicit over in chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. If you've got a Bible open, you could flick over there. Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 37. We'll look at this in more detail in, in a few weeks' time. Matthew 10, verse 37 uh, Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So, so Jesus is saying, if you want to follow him, right, not just being a fan who's connected to him, but really follow him, if that's what you want to do, uh, you have to love him supremely. Your love for Jesus has to be the primary or central or, or the, the kind of superior love in your life, the love that dominates your life even more than you love your parents. That's what he's saying. And he's not saying that this is like elite discipleship. Like you, you might be there thinking, oh, that's, what people, that's what people who go plant churches do. They love Jesus supremely, but not, not, not me. Like I'm just an average disciple. No, but when Jesus says, this is 101 discipleship. You're not worthy of him if you don't love him more than your father or mother. That's confronting. This is basics of discipleship, he's saying. So clearly Jesus is not saying his followers shouldn't love or respect or honour their parents. He's affirming that. He does that in Mark 7. But he is saying that if, you desire, if your desire to honour your parents uh, becomes an excuse for either not following Jesus at all or, or being slow to follow Jesus or, or not doing the things that Jesus might call you to do, if your concern for your parents uh, is like that, then it's become too great. It's too big. Your parents have assumed a place that only Christ should have. 
That's what he's saying. Following Christ means living with him as the the supreme love of your life. The supreme Lord of your life. Your your whole life. The whole package. I say living with him as Lord uh, because this disciple clearly says Jesus is Lord, right? Comes off his lips. Lord. But Jesus somehow knows that he's not really living that way. So, so what would it look like uh, to live with Jesus as Lord of your whole life? I'll give you two illustrations. Uh, the first, imagine for a moment that your life is a big house with lots of different rooms. Uh, living with Jesus as Lord of your whole life uh, means that he has authority, he rules, he calls the shots uh, in every room of your house. Right, so, you, so you don't say to Jesus, uh, Jesus, oh, I'm a Christian, oh, I'm following you, uh, but, and you can call the shots in the kitchen and the living room, uh, but not so much in the bathroom and bedroom. Right, that's my zone. Right, you, don't say to, you don't say to Jesus, uh, you can influence how I think about my work and my money, uh, but not so much about my relationships with my family and, or my sex life. Right, that's off limits. That's where I call the shots. But I'm happy for you to control these bits. Right? Living with Jesus as Lord means he's got control, he calls the shots in every room of your house, of your life. Right? Now that happens over time. I'm not saying click your fingers today, that's all going to happen. But that's what it means to, to have Jesus as Lord of your whole life. Or, or put differently, uh, imagine that your life is like driving a car. Right? You're in the driver's seat, your hands are on the wheel, you're in control. Well, following Jesus, living with him as Lord of your life means you take your hands off the wheel, you get out of the driver's seat and you let Jesus take control. Now, of course, just like this disciple, uh, it's pretty easy to be someone who says Jesus is Lord, but it it, kind of just doesn't look like that in practice. I know this in my own life. So you might say, well, sure, Jesus is my Lord, like I'm a Christian. But because of my uh, kind of really big hours at work, demanding career, I can't be in a gospel community. In fact, I really don't have time to meet with other Christians around God's word at all. Or you might say, sure, Jesus is my Lord, but, but, but because of my family commitments, like, you just don't understand my family. My, my family is very tight-knit. There's lots of demanding family commitments on weekends. And because of that, I can't attend church and I definitely can't serve at all. Like It's an effort for me to get there at all. Now, that, that, might, that might be true. Or sure, Jesus is my Lord, but uh, because of, uh, I took on this, like we bought this house, we've got a massive mortgage, uh, we've got these travel plans later in the year, I've got these other financial commitments, and I just, I just can't give anything to support the work of the gospel. Now, I, I don't want to be simplistic in any way. Life is busy, it's complicated, it's very hard to work these things out. The nature of mentioning a few things like that, it's going to seem reductionistic. I get that. But yeah, I hope you've heard Jesus' words to this disciple. He's saying, if you follow me, he has to be number one priority. And he's pretty direct with something that seemed pretty, pretty reasonable. <laughs> Let me bury my father. So I suspect that if you said things like that to Jesus, he might say, am I really your Lord? 
Because it kind of looks like your work or family or finances or, or something else is, is your Lord. The thing that dominates your life, that dictates how you make decisions. Right? But being a follower of Jesus means living with him as Lord, not just of some of your life where it's comfortable and easy, but of your whole life. And the truth is that all of us struggle with that, right? Because we all uh, really grip the steering wheel of our lives very tightly. We want to be in control. And we worry about what's going to happen if we hand over control to Jesus, if we allow him to be Lord of our lives uh, rather than ourselves or perhaps some other person or, or thing. I say some other personal thing, but because really no matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, uh, you already have a Lord. You've got a master, you, you, you're, you're, you've got someone or something that you're living your life to serve. Uh, the great uh, writer, poet, songwriter, Bob Dylan, uh, he famously sang, some of you might know the song, I'm not going to sing it, I'll just read the words. Uh, You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. Uh, You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. You see, I don't know where Bob Dylan was at with his faith. There's speculation about that, but this is quite profound. right? He's saying everyone has a Lord. Everyone is serving someone or something. There's no way around that. The only question is, which Lord do you want to serve? And apart from the fact that Jesus is the only true Lord, he's also the best Lord. The best Lord. We got a glimpse of that when we sang Psalm 23 earlier. Who else would you want to have Lord of your life than the Lord of Psalm 23? But apart from that, every other Lord... Uh, Anything you choose to serve instead of Jesus, whether it be family or money or work, or uh, ultimately all those other lords uh, will let you down. They'll all let you down. They'll leave you feeling crushed. They promise you so much, and in the end, they deliver little. Uh, Jesus is the only Lord who, instead of crushing you, was willing to be crushed for you. That's what happens on the cross, isn't it? This is unique. Every other Lord will crush you. But Jesus, your Lord, was crushed for you. Every other Lord, whether it be beauty or power or seeking the approval of others, all those Lords will enslave you. They will will dominate your life. They will oppress you. Jesus is the only Lord uh, who was willing to be humbled, uh, becoming obedient to death on the cross of Philippians 2. He was enslaved for you. Every other Lord, fitness, status, uh, the never-ending quest to, to, for romance. Every other Lord will punish you in the sense that they'll drive you endlessly till you sacrifice everything for them. Your time, your relationships, your money, your energy, your, your values. You'll sacrifice everything to try and get that Lord, to try and please your Lord. But Jesus is the only Lord who, instead of punishing you, was willing to be punished for you. So why not choose Jesus to be your Lord? You've got to have a Lord. Everyone's got to have a Lord. Jesus is the only true Lord and he's the best Lord. I started today with that uh, by saying we're going to have a DTR. 
Uh, I wanted you to start this new year uh, by defining your relationship with Jesus. So what's it going to be? I guess I'm urging you today to, to not just stay among the crowd being a fan of Jesus. Yes, count the cost. But yeah, you must count the cost. But don't delay needlessly. Don't make excuses. Follow Christ today and you'll find ultimate security in knowing him. Follow Christ today and live with him as Lord of your life. Let me pray. Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for our Lord Jesus uh, who speaks in this passage so clearly about it, what, what it looks like to follow him. Uh, we pray that uh, for those who perhaps uh, have never made a decision to, to follow Christ, we pray you'd be stirring in their hearts, uh, helping them to uh, count the cost of what it might mean to follow Christ, uh, but also seeing the, the great gain uh, of having the things that really matter, being completely secure in knowing him, uh, the great gain uh, of serving him as Lord, uh, the one who would give his life for them. And for us, uh, for those of us who are already Christians and who are, who are following Christ, I pray that you would help us to work these things out in our own lives. Uh, to work out what it looks like for us to find our security in Christ and, uh, and not in the, the, any number of other good things in this world. Uh, help us to be able to hold those things loosely and to follow uh, our Lord Jesus where he calls us. And help us uh, to be able to surrender our whole lives to Christ as Lord. Uh, even the bits that are hard, uh, knowing that he is good uh, and that he laid down his life for us. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen.